So who is this person? It's John Chuckery. Are you sure? Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Back with you on John Chuckery Show. Live in the Kia Studios. Halfway home on this Tuesday evening with you. 404-741-0929. That is our Solomon Brothers Diamond text line if you want to be a part of the show. Odyssey app site catches on the go. Social media is at 92 on the game on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. I am at JMCH316. He is at underscore Dylan Matthews. Don't forget, 1040 tonight, we do have Rankum coming up, so be sure to hit us up with a list there. Um, we'll recap the college football playoff poll a little bit later on in the show, circle back into some Falcons talk. But, you know, Tyler Algier for this team, you know, drafted in the fifth round out of BYU. And he was a guy that, remember, he played with, um, who's the quarterback drafted by the Jets two years ago? Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson. He played with Zach Wilson at BYU. Very productive runner in college. A guy that accumulated a lot of yards after contact. Scored a lot of touchdowns. And I'm going to give our buddy Steve Weish credit on this. Because he was one of the first guys who talked about the idea of Tyler Algier getting a good-sized role in this offense, that he would be a rookie that they would lean on. Now, you know, you don't predict injury and things like that, but obviously Patterson getting hurt, right? Um, Damian Williams getting hurt in game one. There are some things that did help and open up for um, Tyler Algier. Now, if you look at where he's at right now, so remember, he's only, he's only played in eight games this, this season, right? Because um, he was inactive week one. So if you look at the fact that he's played in eight games, so if you just double his numbers, so far for the season, he has got 423 yards, on 94 carries. That's four and a half yards per attempt. He just had a game where he had 99 yards and 10 carries. He has scored a touchdown. He's got six receptions for 95 yards with a touchdown there as well. So if you flip though, if you double those numbers and say that he he um uh that he is going to duplicate, and sorry, I'm looking something up uh, here because I gotta get the I gotta get the right the right thing here, but if he duplicates his numbers, you're talking about a guy who's over 800 yards for the season, right? Now, I brought this up earlier to Wes in, in Dylon, and I said, who is the guy that has the most rushing yards in a season for a drafted Falcons rookie? Because I don't want to get into somebody that wasn't drafted that I forget about and don't remember. But we said it was... William Andrews in 1979 with 1,023 yards. Dylan, I'm going to ask you, any idea who is number two on that list? And I gave you guys a hint earlier that it was from 2006. Any idea who the number two guy is, second most rushing yards in a season for a drafted rookie? Uh, 2006. This was somebody drafted by the Falcons, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Falcons draft pick, second most rushing yards in a season. This one will surprise you. 
Yeah, I have no idea. Jarius Norwood. Wow. Third-round pick out of Mississippi State. Forgot all about him. 99 carries for 633 yards, 6.4 yards per attempt, scored a couple of touchdowns, caught 12 passes for 102 yards, and he had um, no touchdowns in the passing game. And I went through everybody. I looked at Gerald Riggs, Lynn Kane, T.J. Duckett, everybody that the Falcons, I went through their entire draft in the history of the Falcons and looked at every running back. Norwood is number two. So think about the idea of Tyler Algier very much will blow past Jarius Norwood. He doesn't even have to double his numbers, but he very much can blow right past Jarius Norwood for the second most rushing yards by a Falcons rookie. I don't think we would have had that on our bingo card coming into the season. And I and for whatever reasons, injury, this, that, philosophy, it doesn't really matter. They're getting a lot out of Tyler Algier. And I am very excited to see if he can legitimately develop into a number one type of running back. Because in college, he was a number one running back. He was a bruising, tough runner. Again, I think he had the most yards after contact of any running back in college his final year at BYU. And remember, as I said, he played with Zach Wilson at BYU. In fact, I'll pull up his his college stats because he was about a 1,500-yard runner and all that uh, that good kind of stuff. Let's see here. His college stats, his final year at BYU, 1,600 yards, 23 rushing touchdowns, caught 28 passes out of the backfield that year for a couple of hundred yards. His last two years in college, 1,600 yards his last year, 1,130 yards in the year that he played with Zach Wilson and 13 touchdowns, averaged seven and a half yards per carry. So he has been that guy in college, that workhorse running back, and he can do that. I'm going to be very curious to see if he can develop into a number one running back because here's the reality. Cordero Patterson, who will most likely be back next year, he signed a two-year deal, right? He's not getting younger, and he's in his 30s. Caleb Williams is a nice guy to have, but I'm not sure if they look at him as to whether or not he can be a feature running back. Maybe he can. Maybe if they have Algier and Huntley. Look, that's what they've leaned on this year. Whether they wanted to or not, they've leaned on Algier and Huntley for a good part of this year, and those guys have produced. And I'll say again that I think that part of success of running the football in the NFL is your dedication to it. I think that you have to be dedicated to the idea of running the football to be successful at it. And we know that this team and this franchise and where it's at is dedicated to running the football. So, again, he's on pace for almost 850 yards, a couple of touchdowns. Most I don't want to say most important, but one of the things that really sticks out is four and a half yards per carry. And what do we always say? You know, if you're running back, it's like Mike Davis last year. You know, 3.5 yards a carry, that's not going to get it done in the NFL. That's just not. It's not going to get it done in the NFL at three and a half yards a carry. You need to be four and above. And you say, well, that's only half yard. 
makes all the difference in the world about when you rate successful running games or not, right? Because if you're only averaging three to three and a half yards a carry, you know, you start getting into third and medium situations. Whereas if I'm averaging four and a half yards a carry, I'm more likely to be in third and short. Because you may not get four and a half on every carry, but if that's what you can average out, you're going to be in, in better shape. And what do we say again? The difference between, for this team, third and short and third and medium, go look at Marcus Mariota's numbers when he can throw it on third and three versus you throw it on third and eight or third and seven. It is a difference in the league. Your playbook is definitely different at that point. So I'm excited about the future of Tyler Algier and what he can bring to this franchise. I'm excited to see what this kid can do. And I I don't think because Patterson is back that it's going to hurt his ability to get his hands on the football. Because I think they, they like what they see. And him having success in the running game, one is can keep Patterson fresher. And two is it allows them to do different things with Patterson. It's like I said, what do we see on Sunday? Split him out wide. Put him in the slot, right? You can run him in plays like he's a wide receiver. And I'm not trying to compare the two players, okay? Because there is no comparison whatsoever. But the Rams used to take Marshall Falk and would run empty backfield but put Falk in the slot, split him out wide, because he was that good of a receiver. He, Marshall Falk, if he had dedicated to being a wide receiver, would have been an all-pro at wide receiver as well. He won just, again, I've said before, he was the most dominant offensive player I've seen in my lifetime in his prime was Marshall Falk. But my point is they use Marshall Falk in a lot of different ways, not just always line up and run it up through the tackles. They could split him out, put him in the slot, and they could use him like another wide receiver. You could do the same thing with Patterson. You can do that same thing with him. And you saw little flashes and glimpses of that on Sunday. So from the running the football perspective, having Huntley, having Patterson, who, by the way, Huntley's averaging 4.7. Look at their top three. Actually, go through their whole list. Algiers averaging 4.5. Patterson's averaging 5.4. Huntley's averaging 4.7. Mariota's averaging 5.1. Avery Williams is averaging 5.8. If you have a group, and by the way, the Falcons are, what's the stat that I saw? They are the first team in NFL history to have four guys at this point of the year that have over 250 rushing yards, four guys that have over. They've run for almost 1,500 yards. They're going to run for over 2,000 yards this year, no question about it. I mean, they're going to run for maybe close to 2,500 yards when all is said and done. But Algiers been a big part of that. And I would have been happy if you'd have told me he'd have been like four, four fifty, couple of touchdowns, catch ten balls out of the backfield. I wasn't sure really what to expect. But again, I'll give Steve Weish credit. We talked to him, he said it on TV, he said it on our show when we brought him on during the preseason, that he thought Tyler Algier was going to be a guy that they were going to lean on, you know, as far as being a part of the solution to running the football on offense. Now, I don't think they planned on, obviously, Patterson getting hurt, but and that's probably probably Caleb Huntley is the guy who benefited most from 
Patterson getting hurt and Damian Williams as well. Because remember, Damian Williams is going to be RB2. So think about how the season has changed when Patterson RB1, Damian Williams RB2, how quickly that changed around. Williams gets hurt in the opening week, allows Huntley and Algier to take on more of the load. Algier, remember, was not even active in week one. So he's done this in eight games. That's why you can literally you go through and you double his numbers because that's what we've got left. And you're talking about a really productive season. Tyler Algier runs for 800 yards in his rookie year with two or three touchdowns. It's more than I would have thought. So there are some good things that they're building to and coming out of with this team. Still got some work. I think they're going to win on um, – we'll talk more about the game late tomorrow night because we're going to be on after Hawks and we'll talk to Tory McElhaney. But they're a two-point favorite right now. How about the Falcons being a two-point road favorite? That's crazy talk to think about. So we'll see what happens. But Algiers had a terrific start to the season. All right, when we get back, it's going to be time for That's Life. Jeff Bezos is being sued. And there was a Powerball winner. Wasn't either of us. That's next, plus our top 10. Chuck Green, the Kia Studios, Sports Radio, not to the game, Odyssey.com app. Back to more John Chuckery. This party's going to rock. Make sense! Sports Radio 92.9, the game. Sports Radio 92.9, the game. Back with you in the John Chuckery Show. 921, live in the Kia Studios. You know what time it is. That's life. That's life. That's what all the people say. 404-741-0929. That's the Solomon Brothers Diamond text line to be a part of the show. Odyssey apps how you catch us when you're on the go. Social media is at 929 The Game on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. I am at JMSH316. He's at underscore Dylan Matthews. Get to our top ten here in just a, a couple of minutes. So Jeff Bezos who is obviously supposedly in talks along with, you see, with Jay-Z and Matthew McConaughey to potentially buy the Commodores. That's a weird bunch to buy the Commodores. Yeah, I know. I mean, everybody wants to get in in a sports franchise, right? So a former housekeeper, Mercedes, it's W-E-D-A-A, Wede, Weda, whatever it is. She is suing Jeff Bezos and two companies that manage his properties in a lawsuit filed in Seattle this week. Mercedes was hired in 2019 for a housekeeping role that required her to, quote unquote, work around a family without being seen. She said some of her shifts were as long as 14 hours without breaks, during which time there was, quote, no reasonably accessible bathroom for the housekeepers. When the Bezos family was at home, the housekeepers were only allowed to enter the house to clean, meaning they could not use the laundry door to access a bathroom directly as it led on to the residence. Instead, they would sometimes have to climb out of the laundry room window onto a path that led to a mechanical room and downstairs to a bathroom, a situation that was in place for around 18 months, this lady said. She said, due to the lack of accessible bathrooms, she and other housekeepers spent large parts of their day 
unable to use the toilet, resulting in, ready, frequent urinary tract infections. Ooh. Part of the complaint also says no room for the housekeepers to rest. Sometimes they ate their meals in the laundry room. The Hispanic employees face discrimination because of their race. She complained to her bosses about undocumented workers being brought in on a contract basis, lack of rest breaks, and unsafe working conditions. She said with her complaints, she was demoted despite never having been disciplined. She also said she was wrongfully dismissed, told that she appeared unhappy, and this was having a negative effect on the team. It says that she's seeking damages in amount that will be decided at trial. Bezos lawyer Harry Harry Coral said Ms. Wedes or Weda's claims were absurd, adding that she filed the lawsuit only after her demand for a ready nine million dollar payout was refused. Ms. Weda Wede made over six figures annually and was the lead housekeeper. She was responsible for her own break and meal times. And there were several bathrooms and break rooms available to her and the other staff. The evidence will show she was terminated for performance reasons. This will be interesting. Yeah. Nine wow. million is what she wanted. Wow. I think people like that think that they'll just write the check and be done with it. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. Eric Bischoff used to tell a story about if you sued the Turner organization for under a hundred thousand, they would just write a check and be done with it. Because by the time they paid all their lawyers and fought it in court, it wasn't it was a net negative. Right? Makes sense, yeah. Over a hundred thousand they'd fight you on. Right. But anything under so he said that wrestlers always knew to sue for something less than a hundred thousand because they'd just write a check and make it go away. It was cheaper to do that. Wow. And people knew the system and knew how to game the system. So there you go. How about that, huh? All right. There was a Powerball winner. Did you see this, Dylon? In Altadena, California. Is that how you pronounce it? A-L-T-A-D-E-N-A. Altadena, California. Mm -hmm. Joe's Service Center is who sold the ticket. One winner. Um... They become the first lottery billionaire in the state of California. Wow. Joe's Service Center, where the ticket was sold, they will get a million-dollar bonus for selling the the ticket for all of it. Um, Nice. I don't know. I wonder if in California the person has to come forward or not. Some states you don't have to come forward as a lottery winner. Some states you do have to come forward as a lottery winner. So I'll be interested to see whether or not this person has to come forward. Did you see, um, I forget where it was, but uh, a dude, he like dressed up as like a bear and like, in like some weird bear costume so he wouldn't reveal his identity when he was hey, collecting a check. Listen, if I, I've heard it from people before that you don't want to reveal yourself as a lottery winner no, like that. No, I wouldn't. And, and I believe that the person is taking a lump sum, which the, the prize is $2.04 billion. The lump sum is like nine hundred seventy-nine million. I take it. Yeah, I would too. <laughs> yeah, I would too. I believe in the state of Georgia, there was a fifty-thousand-dollar ticket sold, and I think a hundred-thousand-dollar ticket sold. 
oh, in the state okay. of Georgia. I don't know what that means. Yeah. Um, but I think that there were a couple of decent sized payoffs in the state. But, I take it. <laughs> but listen, I'll if it gets the, if it gets me free and clear of the tax man, I'll take the nine seventy nine. Oh, most definitely. Like I'm not worried about it. Nope. You know what? In a couple of weeks, I'll earn enough interest on my investments that I'll be back to being a billionaire. There you go. Right? Easy but peasy. If, but if I'm only a 979 millionaire, I'm good. I could be a 979 million sure millionaire. Sure can. I'd be happy with yeah, that. Yeah. So, again, um, we'll be back here late tomorrow night working because, you know, we don't win anything or anything like that. You yep. know, so. Just tease of the week. That's all. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's just kind of one of those things. At least we got ribs out of all of it. So. Right. Anyway, uh, today is Margaret Mitchell's birthday. Do you know who? Mar- oh God, I, I know I'm going to be sad when I say this. Do you know who Margaret Mitchell is? No, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> Who's if, Margaret Mitchell? If I said to you, if I said to you that she wrote a famous book, would you know who she is? Charlotte's Web. I'm just kidding. <laughs> that was that was a joke. <laughs> that was a joke. <laughs> it is a very famous Southern book that was. Maybe one of the most famous movies ever made, too. Uh, She's from Atlanta, no. by the way, buried here in Atlanta. She has a she has a museum oh, in wow. a house, um, like I think around the Ponce area or whatever. Like oh, that. wow. Okay. Um, she wrote the book called Gone with the Wind. That oh, Okay, I was thinking Have about that. Have you ever that. heard of Gone with the Wind? I watched the movie, yeah. Okay, you've seen the movie. I've seen the movie. Who stars in it? Uh, I, I don't right, remember Right, exactly. I, just, I remember I had to watch it in school. I didn't pay attention that close exactly. to it. And I was yeah. young. I didn't really get it yeah. at the time. So yeah. Famous book, famous movie. She's buried here in Atlanta. Obviously, it's the story, you know, set during the Civil War, right, as the war breaks out, right? Rhett Butler and all that, right? Clark Gable, Vivian Lee, right, are in the movie. One of the most famous movies ever made, one of the most famous books ever done. But she's an Atlantan. Uh, like I said, I think she's she's got a – they have the Margaret Mitchell house where she was – where, where she was born, I believe. And I think she died at Grady. I think she actually died at Grady Hospital. But okay. with that being said, very famous book about the South. Tonight's top ten list. Top ten best things about living in the South. Dylon, the floor is yours. All right. At number ten, I'm going to have to go uh, nature and wildlife because I feel like that's kind of underrated in the South. You know, we, we have some things. We have, you know, trails and you know, different campsites, you know, waterfalls, things like that. So I feel like our nature and wildlife is actually pretty underrated mm-hmm. in the South. So I'm going to go nature and wildlife at number 10. Number nine, um, and this could honestly be maybe a little bit higher, um, but movies, we have like big time movies made here. Obviously, the uh, Marvel Studios are here. Well, not the like technical studios, at least not yet, but all the Marvel movies are shot here. Like, That's, you know what? Mm-hmm. That's a good one. And, yeah. and I forgot about that, but you're right. This is becoming one of the top yes. entertainment capitals in the country. Mm-hmm. Like the idea, a lot of, of stuff is shot here. Yeah, I mean, there's a crap ton of movies and TV and everything. Tyler Perry has shot. his studios yeah. here now. Like. And what they're just finishing up that series, Atlanta, right? Yeah. Like, it, I yeah. mean, I'm, I'm not saying filming it, but I mean that series is about to it, it, wrap it, up on FX. Yeah, yeah, Atlanta, but. That's a good call is the movie and TV industry. Here. Yeah, and I mean that that helps boost the economy. I mean uh-huh. it creates jobs and all that stuff. So it, it's good for it's good for the South. Mm-hmm. So movies, um, I would say I know like Atlanta traffic specifically is not great. I mean Georgia traffic is specifically not great, but I feel like in the South you relatively can get around fairly easy. Mm. I mean it's better. Sucks. Yeah, it does. Atlanta sucks. <laughs> I mean, it sucks. up north, every road is always under construction. <laughs> Nothing is ever finished and built. 
They, as soon as they finish something, they turn right back around and tear it all up and redo everything. So I'm going to disagree with you on that. Isn't GDOT one of your favorites? Uh... Yeah, yeah, they suck. <laughs> I hate them. I hate everything that they stand for. I have not gone up 75 the last three or four weekends because I don't want to get stuck in it. I don't even know if they're under construction still, but yeah. I don't even want to risk it right now. <laughs> you know. And let me tell you what's about to get bad. Uh-huh. We're about to be in holiday season. Oh. Traffic is awful in yeah. Atlanta during the holidays. I yeah. mean, it is awful in Atlanta during the holidays. So let me ask you this real quick. Would you rather have like a system like they're doing like maybe a Boston or New York where it's mostly like, you know, you take the train and the subway. Would you rather have a system kind of like that where it's heavily re- relied on, well, you know, I, that sort I don't of thing? Mind, I don't mind public transportation. Yeah. But it's too late to build it here. Right. I mean, Marta's right. not going to expand. No. It's not going to go all the different places. So it's just not realistic. I mean, if we had built it from the start, mm-hmm. yeah, that'd be cool. But I'll be honest with you. Outside of going to the airport – I mean, that's the only time I use Marta. Yeah. Is I love Marta going to the airport. Mm-hmm. But by and large, I I don't really use Marta. Maybe to a game, but right. usually I'm working if I'm going to a game. Right. So it's like I got to be there early in park anyway. So, right. um, but usually the airport is about the only reason I use Marta. So keeping it moving here, uh, I got celebrities too. You know, we talked oh, about okay. the movie yeah, that's industry. A good, that's a good call. Celebrities, yeah. I mean, we have. You can, you whole, can have celebrity encounters here. You never know when you can rub into celebrity. You can run yeah. into Rick Ross. You can run right. into uh, who knows who you run into Ludacris. I mean, they're not even just Rick music Ross too. Rick Ross was just on AEW TV last week. Was he really? Yes. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah, he was backstage doing a promo with some guys. Yep. And I mean, two chains is everywhere. You probably can see two chains, you know, just walk yeah, down the street. I, I've got three chins. I mean, right. so. <laughs> so, celebrities. Um, this is kind of weather is on my list, but this is kind of separate from weather. We don't have too many like natural disasters. We aren't in like that tornado alley, or right? Anything and like I mean, that. we're we're far enough inland, yes, um, because that ties into a couple of my things. But we're far enough inland that we're not a coastal town, that, right? You know that that is going to get wiped off or anything like that. Exactly. So uh, that's on my list. Um, alcoholic beverages. I mean. You got bourbon here, and you know, even talk about Kentucky. I mean, I feel like we're we're pretty good when you when you talk about like alcohol and alcoholic beverages. You know, kind of originating down south. So yeah, bourbon can legally only come from Kentucky or Tennessee. Yeah, so, so that's the only places that can call call it bourbon. Exactly, it has to come from those two places. So I got alcoholic beverages on here. Music, obviously. I mean, that's a good call too. That's a good. That's a. That's a. It good can call. be country. Yes. It can be pop. It can be hip hop. Yes. I mean, we just have so many. I mean, obviously, musicians we've spent down the here. decades as, as one of the epicenters for, you know, a lot of different music movements. Mm-hmm. And and you know, we talked about this several months ago about when they had music Midtown here and all the music right. festivals and stuff. Like before, you had Bonnaroo and all those kinds of things. Uh-huh. Music Midtown was the precursor to all of that. Yes. So music is definitely has to be on the that's list. A good call. Um, sports too. I mean, the Braves yeah. just won a World Series. Yeah, that that's Georgia's all national I, champs. I, I will say at all levels, you have yeah high you school have, too. You have, yep. you have incredible high school football. Yep. Obviously, you've got three FBS universities. You know, and again, yes, Athens is part of Atlanta. It's the South. It's yes. not that hard to get out there. It's not right. like you got to drive four days to get out to Athens, Georgia. It takes you an hour, two hours at the most with right. a whole bunch of traffic. Right. Hour and a half, I can be in Athens. Yep. And then, obviously, all the professional teams that we have. Yes. Um, uh, I know I just kind of talked about weather, but weather, you know, it, it does get really hot. But it doesn't get, like, super cold either. So the weather isn't, I mean, the weather isn't so terrible. Part, that's on my list. Part of what inspired this is 
It's early November. We're almost a Veterans Day. Yeah. It's 82 degrees outside. It feels great. It feels amazing right now. It's ridiculous how warm it's been the last couple of days. Like the last couple few days, it's 82 degrees outside. And it's November. Like there are places in the country that are getting snow. Yeah. Like I saw, I think out in Denver and some places, they're already getting snow. Mm. It's 82 degrees here. I mean, it's amazing. It's lovely. It literally feels great right now. This is ideal weather right now. We're in November, like you said. But number one has to be food. I mean, you talk about yeah, barbecue. You, well. you yeah, talk. I, I mean, food. I mean, yeah. I just. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. I, Southern cuisine. So I've got food on my list as well. I've got the weather um, as well. Um, sports at all levels. I had that on my list uh, as well. Um, cost of living. Um, oh, that's a good call. Yeah, know, that's a good Compared to a lot of places in the country, I mean. Yeah, California, you know, ridiculous. Yeah, right, New York and the Northeast. All that. I mean, our gas, you know, look, I'm not telling you it's great, but yeah. gas, food, things like that. Yeah. Cost of living is uh, is much better. Um, one of the great things about Atlanta is that there's no limit to its expansion. Right. You can go north, south, east, and west because yep. we don't immediately run into a body of water. Right? So, I mean. Yep. You can Atlanta can expand in all directions, and it has. Look, Southside's expanded a lot, even going out toward Villa Rick and Douglasville. You mentioned yeah. about movie studios. Mm-hmm. Well, they're out in Villa Rick and Douglasville. Yep. Going east, heading out toward Athens. I mean, that's all built up now. Heading up north, obviously, up where I live, and you head up into Forsyth County and go up toward Dawsonville. It's all up there. So no real limit to expansion. Um, the history and the culture. Oh, that's I'm, a good one. I'm fascinated really by – You've got everything from the Civil War. You've obviously got a lot of Native American um, museums and landmarks and things like that. There's a lot of history and culture. The whole civil rights movement, too. Absolutely. The civil rights movement, African-American culture. There's so many, you know, Martin Luther King, so many great things. And I I love going to museums and that kind of stuff. So the history and the culture uh, in here. Also, the mix of activities, sort of to your wildlife. You're not that far from the mountains. Okay, nope. it's not it's not super far to get to the beach. Nope. If you want to go hiking, if you want to do lake boating, I mean, you can do pretty much any kind of activity within Atlanta. There's so many different things. Yep. Whether you're outdoorsy, indoorsy, whatever, there's so many different mixes of activities. Um, <laughs> before I get to my final two, because we'll save that to get me in trouble, but. Um, <laughs> You're very close here to a lot of really fun cities. Yes. Nashville, Chattanooga, Greenville, you know, Jacksonville, Birmingham, Huntsville. There are a lot of really neat little cities all around where Atlanta is. Yep. Like that are not that hard to drive to. Yep. Like you can get to you can get to a lot of really cool cities. Look, I mean, heck, Chris lives in Chattanooga, he comes down here every week. Right, exactly. <laughs> I mean, and Chattanooga's fun. Greenville's fun. Huntsville's kind of neat. Birmingham yeah. is kind of fun. Like, mm-hmm. if you just want to go somewhere that's, you know, again, it's not New York or Philly, whatever, but you're not that far from a lot of really cool types of regional cities. And my final two as we get out of here, and we'll hear from Chep Towers coming up next, um, the women in sundresses and our news ladies. <laughs> there you go. 404-741-0929. That's the Solomon Brothers Diamond text line. When we get back, Chip Towers joined us earlier in the show. What he had to say, Chuck Green, the Kia Studios. Sports right now to the game, Odyssey.com app. Back to more John Chuckery. He's in the zone. Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. It is a John Chuckery show live on this Tuesday evening as 
Yes, we're still kind of celebrating what happened in Athens on Saturday. That was a uh, complete domination by what will be the number one team in the nation. And, of course, a lot to get into as uh, Georgia, for all intents and purposes, I know they still got to play Mississippi State, Kentucky, and all that, but they're going to wrap up the SEC East. So let's head out to the WadeFord.com hotline. Atlanta's Ford dealer. Let's talk to our man in the know. Chip Towers, our buddy from the AJC, who covers all things Georgia Bulldogs. AJC.com. You can check out all of Chip's work there. Keep up to date with all the Georgia Bulldog news there. And, of course, at C Towers, AJC. And, Chip, you know, I want to start with, I think you've been covering Georgia for about as long as I've been here in Atlanta. Can you think of a scene or a time or anything where Sanford Stadium has even been anywhere close to what we saw on Saturday? Well, it's been close for sure, but I mean, I can say from my personal experience, it, it's never been louder as far as I'm concerned. Uh, loud as I've ever had in a personal experience, and uh, apologies if I sound out of breath, I've been walking, I am walking as we speak, and uh, <laughs> but no, that was uh, unbelievably loud, uh, and the environment was unbelievably intense. Just ask Tennessee, right? Uh, that was an intense environment as we ever seen. But, you know, I mean, there's been other times. I, the first time I ever covered a, a Georgia game was as a Georgia student, uh, you know, way back in the 80s. And Georgia played Alabama, and there was a blocked punt at the end of the game that Georgia scooped and scored for a touchdown. And I remember the hair standing up on the back of my neck. I'd never heard anything that loud. I was actually on the field when that would happen. And, you know, of course uh, – you know, Georgia-Auburn in 2007 and the Mettenberger versus Murray game in, in 2013, I think it was. But, you know, for all that this one meant and, you know, everything riding on it and then just the sheer decibel level, there's been nothing more intense in my experience. Chip, I want to ask you about a specific play that was after – after the short punt by Tennessee and Georgia gets the ball at the Tennessee 37 and it's one play to McConkey in touchdown. And I'm going to, we're going to talk about the offense here in just a couple minutes, but do you think a year or two ago they would have called that same type of play that they would have had enough trust in Stetson to on one play go downfield like that? Because it feels like that there is a lot more trust with Stetson Bennett this year and it just felt like that one play encapsulated it that here's a chance to take a big blow to Tennessee. Let's go try to hit a home run. And obviously they connected. And I thought that was a game-changing play on Saturday. Well, it was a huge play. And, you know, we can we can talk all night about that, that one particular play. I asked Kirby about it again on Monday. And he wasn't real happy, really, to be asked about it because, you know, it doesn't matter now, right? But you know, there's no question in my mind, and having gone back and watched it, watched it in slow motion, and and seen every different angle that you could see of it, that that should have been called a a, a safety. And uh, so, if it in fact it was a safety, it could have really changed the complexion of the game. As it turned out, that play rendered it largely moot. And uh, so, you know, that, that your question is very specific about you know the trust of of Stetson Bennett, and there is no question there's way more trust this season than there was last season and and exponentially more than there was two seasons ago. But that's because, uh, you know, Stetson Bennett has proven himself. For gosh sakes, I I mean, 
I can't remember what it is. I think it's seven and one uh, that that Stetson Bennett is against top ten teams. Seven and one. Uh, you know, I mean, he's he's done it. He's proven it on the field, so he deserves uh, the chance. But I, I don't think it. I think it had less to do with Stetson Bennett and more to do with a. You know, the game plan going into Tennessee was was to hit them with explosives. They had one of the worst pass defenses uh, in. America and certainly one of the worst in the SEC. That's where their vulnerability was, and you had to hit them, and you had to hit them hard. And what better time to do it than first and ten at their thirty-seven? Um, so there was that, and uh, and then you know that's kind of football one hundred and one, sports one hundred and one. Really, it's kind of you make a uh, you make a, a a big momentum play, then you want to ride the momentum on the next series you know whether it's an offensive or defensive switch over you want to you want to ride that momentum Georgia was certainly trying to do that and uh and they did boy they captured it and they carried it on into halftime and truly into the second half all of us who saw it know that that was much more dominating than the 14 point final margin would indicate Chip Towers from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution obviously covers all things Georgia Bulldogs joining us on the waitforward.com hotline and I keep bringing this up to to folks like you that cover Georgia. I I do think that some of the the numbers are interesting about this year. I was going through a lot of stats over these last couple of weeks. <clears throat> so right now Georgia is on track, and I know it's not much of a difference, but they're on track to attempt more passes per game than rushing attempts per game. And if my math is right, the only two times that's ever happened for Georgia – was the two seasons of Eric Sire in, in 93 and 94 was the only two times that they actually threw it more times a game than they ran it more times a game. And I've talked about how they're having their biggest passing season ever. I think the stat that's amazing is, if, let's say they played 14 games. Bennett's on pace for over 450 pass attempts for the season. And look, depending on how it works out for the playoff and all that, and I understand it's a different era because they count bowl stats and stuff. But have you been kind of surprised at just how there is sort of that evolution of the offense this year for a team that doesn't have George Pickens? And really, if you look at Bauer's numbers, they're not jumping off the page. There has been a a, a shift in the way that this offense is now run through Tom Munkin. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, and I think it's a multi-factor. There's a multi-factor reason for that, you know, uh, I, I think you touched on it some there. You know, I mean, times are a little bit different, period, right? I mean, uh, uh, in, in the advent of the RPO era, um, there's just more you can do in that type of game. And uh, so I think that's part of it. George is doing a lot of RPO stuff. And why wouldn't you with Stetson Bennett, which is part two of that, um, knowing that you, Stetson Bennett was coming back, knowing that he was going to be your guy all year, you know, he's able to work with, Todd Munkin during the offseason to devise this scheme. And remember, when they came out against Oregon, that stuff was pretty new. I mean, we knew they'd been working on a lot. We knew that the general plan, because of Kenny McIntosh, was they were going to throw the ball uh, in the backfield or to the backs, you know, a lot more. Who knew it would be like it is? So, it's you know, Georgia has gotten to that place, kind of like what you're going to see this weekend uh, at Mississippi State, where you you kind of pass to run, you know, you you throw these little dink and dunks uh, back and forth, you know, little hitches 
to your wide receivers. You run wide receiver wide receiver screens. You run run uh, running back screens. You run run flares. Um, you run wheel routes. I mean, that's what Georgia's doing now. Is, which is not to say that they can't go vertical on it. Ask Tennessee. That's what they just did. And uh, you know, there's all kinds of metrics out there that will explain that. Uh, that Stetson Bennett has been just about as explosive as anybody else in college football. Now, what he doesn't have is the gaudy touchdown stats. Uh, you know, for whatever reason, it's, it's really kind of flukish. As much as they've thrown the ball, a lot of times they've ended up inside the red zone, you know, inside the 10, and they've punched it in with runs. Uh, but Georgia's still averaging over 40 points a game. You know, so it's not like they're not scoring. They're just not passing for the grand majority of those touchdowns. You know, Stetson's now run for six or seven, I think it is. So he's got that. And then I think uh, – so he's accounted for 17 or so touchdowns, which is pretty good. But the the passing numbers are going to be really gaudy. If he stays healthy and Georgia keeps doing what they're doing, I'm, I imagine he's going to obliterate every passing record that's in there, including, you know, the ones that Aaron Murray put up not so long ago. Chip, before I ask you about Mississippi State, I want to bring up the secondary who, you know, there were some questions going into the year about what would the Georgia secondary look like. But I think we knew Keely Ringo could be that guy. And, you know, look, uh, we've talked about these guys for Georgia's defense that have made themselves some money come Sunday afternoon. Uh, he's one of those guys. After that performance on on Saturday, no doubt about that he showed everybody he's a top-tier corner. And he's going to become a rich man here in about, I don't know, five or six months from right now. <laughs> yeah, it was good to see Keely Ringo play like, you know, we all know Keely Ringo can. He really hasn't. I mean, he admitted that. We uh, had a chance to talk to him after the game and then again, you know, in interviews after practice this week. And, um, you know, he hadn't been, you know, thrilled with ways to play. He hadn't been playing bad. It's just he hadn't been taking advantage of his unique skill set, which is, you know, really good size, really good speed. He's been right there in position to make a lot of plays, uh, but just hadn't got his head around, hadn't got his hands out there to be able to make the play. Well, he, you know, most definitely did that, uh, you know, in this last game. Uh, that was a just about as perfect as you can possibly play a go route, what he did on Cedric Tillman for the interception. And, uh, look, that's a confident secondary, and it needs to be going to Mississippi State. I mean, all those guys, if you think about it, if you run through Malachi Starks, Letterman uh, tackles this past Saturday with 10. Javon Bullard had seven tackles. He also had two sacks. Christopher Smith is always solid. Uh, you know, uh, Kamari Lassiter had a couple of good plays. I mean, he's starting to get more and more um, targets because Keely Ringo doing what he's doing over there. And so, you know, I, I think you're seeing a Georgia – defense really grow up before your eyes. I mean, we, we can talk about all those guys that went to the NFL, but, you know, between the way they're playing and then, of course, getting Jalen Carter back, I mean, that's that's a huge development. Let's not underscore that. And that's helped everybody, him coming back the last two weeks. Last question for you, Chip. Um, you know, Mississippi State this weekend, you know, obviously, look, we know they throw it all over the yard, but they do it differently than Tennessee. Tennessee is going to throw haymakers and try to get you stretched out downfield. You brought this up. It's a lot of crossing. It's a lot of underneath. They sort of throw it to run. It feels like a game where as much as you need your secondary, you also feel like I think you need your safeties and your linebackers to kind of help out as well. 
a little bit about the difference about the passing game. How important is it going to be just to kind of get everybody involved this weekend as far as coverage goes? Because this is not going to be one-on-one on the outside, go deep. This is everybody coming across the middle on you. Yeah, this is this – is, I mean, I see this as an agonizingly uh, uh, difficult game for Georgia. I will see how it comes out. Georgia is, a, you know, a two-score-plus favorite like they have been everywhere. It feels a little bit like Missouri to me. And, I've listen, I've always had this game kind of circled as a trap game so from the beginning of the year. And that's before we knew that Tennessee would be what Tennessee is. It, but it was there. It was falling between two, you know, Eastern Division rivals, and you knew that uh, you, you know Georgia was going to be in the thick of things by the time you got there. So Mississippi State would be the one that you kind of maybe discounted out of those, and Georgia can't afford to. Now the good news is that you know Georgia can clinch uh, an SEC championship game berth, so that's that's going to be on their mind, and I think help have their focus turned up but the thing about i mean you think about when they came to athens in 2020 will rogers i think was just a freshman then and they i I, you know for some reason i I don't know if this is accurate but they completed like 35 of 42 passes something like that i mean it was just it it was just a nightmare you know it's a it's a uh you know a bleeding death by paper cut is what i always call it and uh so you know to really mind their keys in the secondary those safeties and stuff, they're going to have to come up and be very sure on the tackle. You're going to have to create some turnovers that way because they will possess the ball on you and keep it away from you, you know, if you just keep them underneath and, and, and you know, keep them to getting, you know, four to six yards a play. That's what they seek to do. It's like, uh, it's like the old Vince Dooley teams. It's like if I get four yards of rush, I'm going, to, I'm going to be getting first downs all the way down the field. They're the same way, but with throwing the ball. So Georgia's going to have to – they're going to have to get a really special effort, and they're going to have to create some turnovers somewhere along the way. Follow them on Twitter, at AJC. AJC.com is where you can check out all of the latest information and all the coverage that you need for the Georgia Bulldogs. Chip Towers from Atlanta Journal-Constitution joined us here on the WadeFord.com hotline. Chip, as always, appreciate it, buddy. We'll talk again soon as uh, – Look, we're getting ready for, you know, a big one, uh, you know, to wrap up this season, and we'll be talking probably about another SEC title berth. Yep, getting there soon. (laughs) Thanks, man.